Attention listeners, there were some technical difficulties in the recording of this episode. We've done our best to clean it up, but I'm afraid you'll have to pardon our mess. Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Galactica, 1980, episodes 7 and 8. So we have regular reconnaissance patrols monitoring Earth's quarters, just in case a Cylon ship manages to slip by. Heavens, they're that close? We've learned to be cautious, Jamie. What happened to your patrol? Well, the Viper broke radio contact, and it hasn't returned from its mission. The only thing that we can assume is that it had a malfunction and drifted into Earth's orbit. Thank heavens. Our main concern is to get to the craft and its crew before anybody else. Wait, you're going to New York? How? We have a Viper. No, you can't do that. I had a visit this morning from the United States Air Force, a Colonel Briggs. Regarding us? Yes, he's investigating you. He suspects we're not of this world? No, he didn't go that far. One thing he's sure of is that he's going to find you. Thank you for the warning, Jamie. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's ringing in the new year with a Halloween episode of Galactica 1980. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan, and we're joined here this week at the start of 2019 by returning guest Kevin. Welcome back, Kevin. Hey, guys. Thanks very much. Now... I think we talked about this maybe last time you were on, but you uh, you definitely watched the original Battlestar Galactica, right? I did watch the original Battlestar Galactica, and I watched, I want to say, at least the first hour of Galactica 1980. I, I was in that demographic of people who, uh, in 1980, were excited about this show and saw the commercials for this show. And the commercials all showed the Cylon attack on Los Angeles, which I right. now know is repurposed footage from Earthquake, because I just recognized it right away. But... And then you tuned in to watch the show and found out that that was just a simulation and, and that the show was really going to be about... I know. what not that the worst cop-out ever? It ever? Like, it's unbelievably terrible. Even all these years later, I remember being so disappointed. And I know I didn't even finish watching because it was like a three-hour premiere. You guys are deep into the show and I'm, yeah. I'm all about these episodes. But I remember not even finishing watching it and being sorely disappointed. I remember the flying bikes uh, and I remember that the two guys were kind of like the uh, Kmart versions of... Apollo and Starbuck. I've been referring to them as the uh, this the recast of Dukes and Hazard. <laughs> yeah, Dukes Hazard. exactly. That Dukes of Hazard season with the uh, salary uh, uh, yeah. arguments. Yeah, um, totally. I was going to ask you though. Do you remember? Because we've been talking. Obviously, by the time you're recording this with us, the other episodes haven't aired yet, so you haven't heard us right. all the magic that we've been talking about this <laughs> show. But we've been kind of going back and forth a little bit on how this apparently was recut as a TV movie at one point. Right? Did you ever? Did you know anything about that? Because I'm pretty sure it aired as one movie I, I don't and when i read you know doing the research for this and watching the two episodes that i watched th- that it was a three episode movie that seems long for me i seem to remember it being a two-hour premiere which would mean it was cut as a tv movie I, it was definitely never a theatrical movie hmm. i remember i paid to see battlestar galactica the theatrical movie when i don't remember what the timeline of that would have been like if that was before the series aired I do remember, I definitely saw it in a movie theater before I saw the series, because in the movie version, Baltar dies. And I remember in the TV version being shocked that Baltar survived uh, the episode. So there was there was definitely a theatrical cut of that. I think with the original Battlestar Galactica, they did take kind of the first three episodes and turn them into a feature. But I don't mm-hmm. know if they air, I don't know if they screened in the States. They definitely did in like Canada, Australia, oh, kind okay. of the Commonwealths, I think, got mm-hmm. it as a feature film. Right. And it might have been before the whole series necessarily went to... 
full series or something. There was some weird thing where they're like, oh, let's just shoot this, turn into a feature film. And then it went, did well. And they're like, oh, maybe it's a series. Well, I was amazed in watching this, just how, you know, my memories of, you know, 14 year old Kevin watching it and being really disappointed in 1980. I wasn't nearly disappointed enough based on what I saw (laughs) on these two episodes. Like, holy moly, guys. And you liked the first Battlestar Galactica, right? I remember liking it. Again, whether there's an element of nostalgia there. And if I went back and watched it now, I would find it amateur the way I find this amateur. I don't know. But um, I certainly at the time, I remember liking it better than Buck Rogers. Like as far as science fiction TV went in 1978, it felt like it was pretty cool. Those leather jackets in this show. Yeah. I wish they were wearing those cool ones with all the buckles. Yeah. Because those are good leather jackets. But why they wore these puffy, stupid leather jackets in this show? It's terrible. I could talk about the jackets for the whole episode. It just blew my mind. First of all, they're in Southern California, right? Yeah. Why are they wearing what looks like ski jackets? It's uh, Why are they both different shades of brown? Well, it's the only reason is to tell them apart. That's that's my theory. (laughs) It's because they're like, we'll get one is blonde and one brunette. And then one wears a light tan and one wears a dark brown. Otherwise, you're never going to know them apart because their their dialogue could be interchangeable. Their personality are interchangeable oh boy i mean they never leave each other's sides so they go to the washroom together isn't it then they show that in one episode oh i think that was in your fan fiction all right <laughs> all right so this week i kind of gave everyone a little bit of homework because uh i guess in 2009 a uh, graphic novelist or comic book writer uh, mark guggenheim attempted to reimagine these galactica 1980s series as a i guess a four-part comic book and I think I asked you all to read it. I'm not sure if you all had a chance to. Oh, I definitely read it. I read it, yep. And uh, it's really quite something. I don't hate it. It's not great. But he's really someone who's like, what if this bad show were still bad? But Right, but bad in a different direction. But set in like a, it's a dark, gritty version of it. Uh, I like that the characters are the same. Like they're not drawn more dark or gritty or like they're all just the same dumb looking characters right. like in the 80s haircuts. But it essentially imagines... Galactica arriving at Earth in 1980, but like it's been a harder journey for them. Can you remember? Like, they were, I think they were like talking about how they've like banned reproduction. Like, there's all these th- things they imply. They really push into the idea that if you've been flying sort of almost aimlessly for 30 years, that people maybe are not at their happiest. They really, they really dig into that. This comic was I, the first issue. I was like, all right, I'm on board. And the second one, I was like. Eh, not as much. And then third, I was like, I don't really like this. And the fourth, I was like, ah, oh, let's finish this. I just thought progressively got worse and worse. I, it was, I agree. It was an interesting setup. I was like, oh, this is a cooler idea. Let's get right into the action. But then they were like, I don't know. Just nothing really happened. It was definitely a little weird. I mean, essential ideas. They arrived at Earth. Adam was like, let's go land on front of the White House and we'll tell them we're here or right, something. Right. And uh, Jimmy Carter's first reaction is to nuke them out of the sky. <laughs> Also, it looks nothing like Jimmy Carter. Yeah, weird, right? I could not figure that out. I, I didn't know it was Carter at first until like they're like, oh, President Carter. I'm like, that's Jimmy Carter? They're drawing Lauren Green from photo <laughs> reference. Like it looks exactly like Lauren Green. They get this stupid Burl Ives beard, right? Yeah. But they, they, yeah, they, they get Jimmy Carter and he looks like a Sears model. Well, even uh, even the resident, Russian president, I'm like, this is not what he what yeah. Gorbachev looks like. Yeah. But it really <laughs> felt like, I didn't read anything about it, but it felt like somebody saying, well, what if you started at the same place? But just took it darker. Like, what if you said they, they did arrive at Earth and there is Dr. Z and it's, it's all the same characters. Yeah. But then, you know, what if it all goes wrong from there? I thought it was a fun idea. Like, I could see someone just being like, you know, it'd be really funny if I tried to do this in a dark way, but still use the same setup. Uh, it definitely doesn't quite work. Like, it becomes a weird nuclear war between Galactic and Earth that sets off a nuclear war between Russia and America. Right. That at some point, Adama manages to talk them into like, getting back together like they're like oh let's not fight and then the Cylons arrive with right. with uh, Baltar and there's who was that guy with the weird uh, like 
the little alien guy with uh with uh Baltar. Who was that? I think he's from the original show. I oh. think that was the thing. The guy with the kind of lava lamp for yeah. head. Yeah, I think he's a character from the original show. I've, I I re- recognized him when I saw him in the sure. book, but I couldn't name him. I think that's what I was most disappointed about is they use 80 as the jumping off point, but they also quite clearly halfway through just want to get back to Battlestar Galactica because like Baltar's yeah. back. The aliens from like the silence from the original, like they yeah. really throw away. Super Scouts don't show up. Yeah. I was disappointed in that. You're just oh wondering the Super Scouts didn't show God. up. They I were, jump, they were the jumping over the White House. Well, and they like <laughs> oh kill, there's Troy and Dylan. They kill Dylan immediately. They're just like, I don't know what to do with this character. He's dead. <laughs> get rid yeah. of him. Uh, Dr. Z was hilarious because he's some sort of Machiavellian. At some point he tries to take over Galactica because they yeah. think Adama dies. What does he call it? He's like a cerebralocracy or something. He tries to, he's like, Galactica is now run by the smartest. That's me. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Dr. Z being the bad guy just because I detest the character so much. But yeah, there's um, more to do with him as the bad guy. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was a really like strange reimagining. And like Dr. Mortensen, I don't know. You wouldn't know who he is, but he's a character from the first episode. He's Robert Reed, obviously, right? Yeah. Just based on the, the way they draw him. Again, they draw him photo accurate. He's got the, he's got the Mike Brady, uh, yeah. late era, uh, Buffon, do and and fuzzy beard. They go to a lot of trouble to find something for that character to do, who is a yeah. minor character in the first episode who's never come back. But they're killing off the other major characters, and then it, the, sh- the whole show ends is like Adama sacrifices himself to stop the Cylons. They've kind of saved the Earth. I mean, most of the Galacticans are dead, I guess. A, yeah. a lot of them are anyway. It closes with Troy driving around with Jamie, who's suddenly in the comic. I'm like, yeah. like, well, it had it yeah. seemed to have the problems of. I think someone said it's got to be four issues and they said okay and they just started writing and got to the end of it was like, oh we got to wrap this up either this should have been I, I hate to say because i didn't like it very much this should have maybe been six issues maybe seven because they had a lot of things they just like that part at the end it's like well you couldn't introduce jamie she's just in the car at the end there's like oh yeah she's here too remember her all right we're done it's a strange little comic book series uh and i like that it ended saying tune in for a Galactica 1981. <laughs> that blew my mind. I was like, you really have an idea for a sequel for this? But the, I really, the, I looked it up. There was never. No, I, I feel like this was someone's one-off joke. Like someone right. not dissimilar to us sat down and was just like, you know, it'd be really funny if we just uh, <laughs> tried to bring this back as something like dark and gritty. Right. Well, we're going to uh, make a Beyond Westworld comic, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, a dark and gritty version <laughs> yeah. of Beyond Westworld. What was the guy, John Moore? Was that the character uh, in that? Listen, I, that's why maybe this comic book didn't come out, turn out great, but I also respect the fact like, yeah, would I 100% sit down to make a Beyond Worst World version that's like stupid, but like stupidly gritty? 100%. I'd, that'd be a funny one-off joke to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Wasn't great. I liked a little some pieces of it. I liked that they spoke like ancient Aramaic, yeah. Aramaic yes, for some yes. reason. I don't know why Dr. Mortensen spoke it, but yeah. it was a weird little thing. Uh, and I was kind of a weird piece of ephemera around the show that's weird that exists at all. Mm-hmm. And it was, so, it was certainly entertaining enough to read. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was fun to see that someone cared about this show which no one clearly cares about enough <laughs> yeah. to think it would be funny in 2009 to make a new version of it yeah all right let's get into these episodes then guys can i say the first thing that bugged me is the title the you don't like the cylons landed because well first of all isn't there arguably only one cylon just it, it implies the attack that you've been waiting for and it's you're just you're still bitter from that original <laughs> i am i am I, I did think that though i saw it and i said yes the silence finally it's right. gonna happen and i was like oh no it's it's old egghead and his uh yeah and his centurion <laughs> all right here is the summary format for imdb for the night the silence landed part one good news it's two parts <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> earthbound troy and dylan rush to the east coast to intercept what they believe to be a down galactic spacecraft 
but find that it is really the first ship of the treacherous Cylons to locate the lost human civilization they want to destroy in Galactica, 1980. All of these summaries are like they're always credited to anonymous. I think these might be just like these summaries from the back of a DVD case. Right. right. They all end with in Galactica, 1980. You're, you're so excited. <laughs> Before we get started, Kevin, I have a question for you because we've right. encountered this in Beyond Westworld and now we're re-encountering it again in Galactica, 1980. The shows will do a precap of the episode. It'll be oh like God. a two-minute clip show of literally what you are about to watch. Was this something of the time? Like I don't, I don't remember encountering these I, in my I, life. I do remember them being part of the show because it was like it's like a trailer. To get, you know, in case you're just uh, you just left left the TV on CBS or whatever uh, after your previous show has ended. This quickly gets you excited about what you're about to see because they cut to the explosion and the gunfight or whatever's in that episode. But I did not remember them being this long. Like in part two. The precap and the recap, recap and then the opening titles. It's like five and a half minutes. I know. It takes it's a like, long time. Like It feels like forever. They show you so much in the precap. Oh, so much. It's the whole the show. show. Yeah. But that's all you really need to see. Yeah. That, you just watch that and you go, yeah, I get it. I get what happens. I don't need to watch 45 more minutes of them wandering around New York City. Oh, yeah. New York, quote, heavy air quotes around that. Yeah. Uh, the New York City. Yeah. I, I, we've seen it a few times and I've always been like, I guess this must have been a trope of the time, but it, it's been lost to yeah. to the civilization because no one, no one does it anymore. And I'm like, I... It blows my mind to imagine recap. I think it's the equivalent of when you're watching Netflix and you hover over a show for more than three seconds right. and it starts to play a trailer. It's like, mm, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're interested in the show. Let me show you something exciting about it. You're right. That's where it is now. But these precaps are a little dishonest oh. because they only show you stuff out of context and they seem really fun. And then you right. start watching the episode and you go, oh, this is not fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> this not is, a fun show. This is not fun at all. <laughs> well, it starts off with um, two random viper pilots kind of just flying around earth for some reason and they they pick up on a fancy new cylon ship that happens to be flying by it looks to me like the cylon ships i've seen in the opening credits but i guess it may be like have a little more of a red tinge to it or something yeah but they decide to go in for a scan of it they're they're dodging fire and as they get up they uh i guess they need to get so close to do a scan of the ship they ram it i, I was a little confused because they do i mean yeah so they have a fender bender in space <laughs> It's fun to watch the models smash into each other. But what they kind of learn when they ram into it is they scan the ship and see inside. And inside, in the most awkward way, are human Cylons. Cylons in the shape of humans, which is new to this show and new to this series. Though very funny that they would, this one piece of Battlestar or Galactic 1980 would reappear yeah. years later in the remake. But I'm sure for budget reasons this is happening. But now they're saying, oh, Cylons have human versions that can hide among us. Right. I thought that was a fun kickoff to this episode of like, even if it's not good for the episode, a future looking thing that this is going to come back when we reboot this series. I got a real quick question, though. The human that's in the ship, we see that he has like an egghead type. Yeah, those hats thing. are amazing. Are, are they from the original series? Not that I recall, but whoever designed those special awards. How is that going to help you if you fall out. over? <laughs> It looks like, remember in the, the Batman 1966 TV show when Vincent Price was in Egghead, as Egghead? Yes, yes. That's what they look like. <laughs> Anyways, that's just Excellent. for us. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, they wear those weird pharaoh hats and we have no idea why still. Yeah, well, especially know. since they've arrived in 1980 and they're not some sort of proto-human ancestors like the original show. Like that, So much of this entire show violates the 
premise of Battlestar Galactica, which all these teases that maybe these are going to be the ancestors to humanity. Maybe these are going to, they're going to seed civilization in some way. It's like, nope, they arrive in 1980. Well, the Egyptians have already happened. Although I guess there's some storyline that's not in this episode about time travel. Yeah, I mean, that was how the show kicked off in the sort of like three episode beginning was it was basically set up to be more like Quantum Leap. They were going to jump around time trying to stop the bad guy who stopped. He's not the bad guy in this episode, and he hasn't been for a while, but he pops up occasionally. They they totally abandoned the time travel thing, I guess. Right. Uh, whoever was, who was it, CBS, who's making this show? Yeah. They just didn't like that idea. Right. So, so like by episode four, it was just like, that's not the show you're watching anymore. <laughs> kids. <laughs> oh my God. I have so many questions about the kids. Can I just say before we leave the, the dog fight though, a couple of things I noticed. First of all, 70% of this footage is just from the original show. Like they're clearly just going to what, what shots of ships do we have from the original show? And secondly, and, and this is probably true of the original show too, and I just never noticed it before. When you get the profile shot of one of the pilots and there's the outer space sound and they're talking on their space microphones to the other guys the background is is not like a visual effect it's clearly just a scrolling backdrop right. of painted stars yeah it's yeah, like yeah. the most like silent film cecil b demille way of of achieving that effect once you notice it you could almost in your brain hear the creaking of right they got one guy with a cigarette hanging half out of his mouth, <laughs> pushing it. I also like that they've reused the shot of someone pushing the turbo button yes. on the joystick. Every episode has used it like at least twice. Yeah. Because apparently that button does everything you need to do on the ship. Every time they need to do something like go forward, yep. shoot the gun, anything, it's always hitting that turbo button. Uh, and also shots of toggle switches. Boy, they love to thumb yeah, those yeah, toggle yeah. switches. Although it, like, if I was in a spaceship, I'd be doing that all the time. <laughs> flip those little toggles. It is very good to watch these because they're quite clearly from the original Battlestar. And you can imagine... Somewhere there's an editor they hired who just to go through the right. entire first series of like, just pull out all the fight sequences and then figure out how to recut them together for our sequences. Well, and, and not to go backwards because we're only five minutes in, but that's true of the entire opening title sequence, which is a huge lie. It's just the opening titles of the original show, which promise an epic scope that is completely not that's delivered. What, that's what we talked about with Steve, who was our guest a few episodes back, was that he was like, oh, I was excited about seeing all these things. And it's like, no, 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 you're never going to see any of this. You're not going to see Because I, ex- <laughs> I, I, I was excited about seeing that space basketball game. <laughs> right, but I'm never right. going to see it. <laughs> um, getting back to this, because they've rammed the Cylon ship, they lose power and they're kind of are unable to report back to Battlestar what they've seen. And I guess they've damaged the Cylon ship because it starts floating toward Earth's gravitational pull. Mm. But it's very funny because we'll hear this a few times. It's going to crash into Earth but it's going to take it like a day and a half. Yeah. It is the slowest crash that's like, everyone's going to know it's coming down. It feels like it's the most controlled crash that's going to happen because it's just like, oh, we have a good day and a half to get to the crash site before it even happens. It's it's the weirdest thing. Well, at one point, uh, the Air Force general asks his guy, so when is this thing going to land, this object you've determined that you've you've spotted its parabola as it's coming down? And the guy says, yeah, tomorrow night, give or take a few hours. I'm like, really? This is science. It's like, yeah. Tuesday it might come down. It's systemic of this show is like where they could use some speed to liven up the action. Right. They choose to go the opposite way. And it's like, how slow can we make <laughs> this happen? Uh, at any rate, back on Galactica, because this Viper's been damaged and can't get can't contact them, Adama basically believes it's started to crash into the earth. That's what they're picking up. This ship coming down is their own Viper. Their sensors are terrible, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can pick up a chromosome. Yes. Yeah. That's in another episode where they're like, oh, we see there's someone with a different chromosome than you coming in. It's just like, uh, but they can't tell what yeah. ship is they, crashing. They, they break their own rules about 
how they can communicate with Galactica. Like sometimes they're like, oh, they're too far. We can't communicate with them. And then other times they're just like, hey, what's for lunch? Like it's right. just, it's, they break their rules all the time. Yeah. I mean, they call down now to Troy and Dylan to put them on a sort of a rescue mission. Hey, can you go get this Viper and stop it from happening? And it's great because where they call them is in the middle of a movie. They've taken all the Super Scouts out to see a movie. Listen, it's 1980. What movie are they watching? Uh, something from the best 1955. Yeah, it's it's this island Earth from 1955. I'm like, what? Oh, I called it awesome. I'm like, where are they? Why are they what watching? Well, they're movie? in California, so they're in some sort of retro theater. Right. And, but what I like is that the kids are all still wearing their stupid scout uniforms. These kids are, must be just stinky as anything. And also, one thing they have never once in this show ever mentioned where Troy and Dylan are living? This is one of my key questions. Okay, so I come into this scene as a guy who vaguely remembers the show and gets the general setup. And up until now, everything's kind of like, yeah, like I remembered, except the Battlestar looks incredibly cheap. We can talk more about that. <laughs> Those sets are like basically black drape limbo sets. But, yeah. But then when you cut to Troy and Dylan, I'm like, my head's just exploding. They're in charge of a scout troop? Of yeah. a co-ed scout troop in the most well-lit theater ever, by the way. Like, I don't know how you can see the screen in that theater for how well it is. But Well, I mean, I guess that's the question is when the Super Scouts arrived, they went out and bought tents and scouting uniforms. I actually think they are essentially just camping in the woods. They don't have anywhere to go. They just seem to pack up their... They're, they're essentially homeless. But the show basically... As we were saying, after the first couple episodes, they went, no, no, this show's now about kids. And they brought the kids in. But then it was clear that no one really wanted to write that show with these super kids. So they just keep finding excuses to put the kids off to the side. They're like, oh, kids, um, go play in the park. And then they go have an adventure. And it's like, but these kids are just just by themselves. Well, they're just, just feral. They're feral. <laughs> yeah. They're like barn cats. Yeah, they're like coyotes. Uh, so, but the, the where do Troy and Dylan live thing is a real question for me. Like, I was I was trying to figure out: are they on the ship, and then they only come down for missions? No, they're on Earth. We don't know where they live. They apparently only have that one outfit with those puffy jackets. Right. Well, they have a blow dryer for sure. <laughs> yeah. Seen their hair. They definitely have. A- they stranded themselves on Earth when they brought the kids down. They had a ship. They sent it back into orbit just to go off into space. So they they did wow. strand themselves here with these kids. And the only thing we've seen them do is camp. And I think that <laughs> what we're seeing is that continues to be true. <laughs> right. And okay. they don't have any mode of conveyance. They have two motorcycles, so they can't move these kids around. Right. You can't put a kid on a motorbike, so they have to stay in the park. Well, there's 12 of them. You can't possibly. Again, just imagine the 14-year-old in 1980 who's a sci-fi fan who's tuning into something called Galactica 1980, and it's about some camping uh, scouts who uh, may have adventures or may not. It's all about sleeping bags. and okay. Yeah, it's very strange. But the kids can jump really high. Another thing that baffled me when it first happened in this episode was, wait, they have superpowers now? We'll save that for when we come to it, but that's the first time we've seen Troy and Dylan really have... Well, no, that's not that's true. Not true. There, there was there was a scene where some like street-tough uh, construction workers uh, <laughs> went to like fight them, and they are just like, you don't want to fight me, and he just like threw the guy over in like, the dumbest stunt thing. The guy went like 100 feet. Right. They've basically made them supermen. They've come from Krypton, right. and oh, because of the Earth's sun, they have superpowers, basically, but oh, yeah. why that is... Up until like episode five, that wasn't a thing. Yeah, it was introduced very late, the idea that they are powerful here because gravity is different. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, they get this Collins movie theater. And what I did like is for all his failings, Mr. Larson, who made the show, he definitely predicted that as soon as people had the ability to talk on a phone in a movie theater... They would talk on a phone. <laughs> right, and everything. right. Because he like gets on his wrist thing, starts talking in the middle of the movie, and a kid turns around. And it's like, what are you? What are I, you doing? I, I, I know it was in a movie theater. That kid's me. That would have been me. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> in the middle of the movie, in a time where phones were tied to a wall, you really did predict that people would just be terrible in a movie theater as yeah. soon as they had the chance. <laughs> so 
essentially because they're like, oh, we got to get this Viper. They're going to head off and do that. NORAD gets the same like memo. They're like, hey, something's crashing down. And it's very funny. Throughout the thing, they kind of come back to the idea of like what is crashing down. And they're like, it's not one of our satellites. Maybe it's an Israeli satellite or French satellite or a Russian satellite. A lot of Skylab talk. Oh, yeah. There's that line about is Skylab all over again. I thought, what a great zeitgeist comment. Like that only in 1980 would somebody say that. At one point, they were even like, if it's like that Russian satellite that crashed in Canada, we'd already know. And I'm like. Russian satellite. I had to go look up the Russian satellite that crashed in Canada. I'm like, these are is a very like time capsule time where it's like things <laughs> yeah. crashing from space where it was a real problem people were worried one, about. That one character asked the other character if you can give him a new Coke. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Didn't work as well as I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, you kind of see like this new Colonel Bridges is going to go and intercept whatever's coming down. And he's suspicious that Troy and Dylan are involved. It's interesting, and Kevin, you won't know this, but in the previous few episodes, there's been a Colonel Seidel who has played the same role. Right. I thought, is this supposed to be the same guy? No, it's a new character. His name's Colonel Bridges, but he's essentially filling the same role as he's off trying to find out who these people who keep coming into Earth's orbit. NORAD keeps tracking them. They have an idea aliens are out there, but it's been one guy doing it and now it's a new guy doing it. And to be fair, continuity wise, that man was shot badly by a laser in the last episode. So I think he may have died. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, so maybe he's dead. Yeah. I did forward check one continuity note. I had a continuity question at the end of episode two that I'll tell you about when we get there. And I was shocked to find the next episode, which I watched the first few minutes of to see if it kept this continuity note alive, actually respected it. So it's weird that occasionally we're going to see this in these two episodes a lot. There's continuity. Mm. He He's worrying about what's happened in previous episodes and he's bringing them back up. It's very strange for mm. this show that doesn't feel like it has any grasp on what it's doing <laughs> yeah totally and i'll just point out too that the norad mission control set is another like black drape set like there's, if you look it's a bunch of computers a bunch of like lucite screens and what's behind those things is just darkness like there's no walls to this well we, we were saying in a previous episode that from what i read and it may be true may not be true is that the original battle star which was a year previous had a million dollar an episode budget mm. in 1978 terms which is that would have been huge huge yeah. and then this show they gave them like 25% of that or, oh, wow. or less. So that's why it was so much of just grab stuff. Right. But I think also he was like, oh, well, you know, because people wanted the show to come back. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it again. And the network's like, yeah, we'll do it. But we're giving you nothing to do it. Right. If you can do it for a fraction, sure, you can make another well, show. You can see the whole thought process that would go from, we don't have much money. Okay, how are we going to do that? We already struck the sets. What are we gonna, okay, what if we set it in contemporary earth and we'll get the stories down here so we don't have to worry about clothes or cars or anything having to be futuristic or different or strange. But it just... And I get that. I can play along with that. But there's just moments where like Dr. Z's control room, which is a bunch of sort of airport TV monitors hanging on stands, which look like they have cardboard boxes around them. If you look at the detail around them, it looks like somebody just opened a cardboard box and stuck it around the TV. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about him. <laughs> I, I, I'll let me just say one thing, Luke, and I know you want to get back to the episode, but this is very important. Let me tell you. He sits on a podium all the time, a very yes. well-lit podium, but he never leaves the podium. My theory is it's also a toilet. <laughs> Because he never leaves it. It's true. Dr. Z is there all the time. He's a terrible character and a terrible actor whose name is Patrick Stewart. Yeah, we, we talked about that in previous episodes, yeah. And I really, uh, I know it was Robbie Wrist in other episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a Cousin Oliver fan, I... I oh, sorry. You, I think you may be the only Cousin <laughs> Oliver fan. It, I mean, I, the idea that you would recast Robbie Wrist, whatever his acting abilities are, with this kid who is not an actor. Although I checked him out. He grew up to be... A regular working actor. He's in lots of stuff. Hmm. But in this show, maybe it's just what they're asking him to do. Maybe it's the fact that they taped his hair down to look like sideburns. Right. 
it's funny they had Robbie Rist in those first episodes, and he, he is actually quite good in that role. You you will never have seen him, and you probably never will go back and watch him <laughs> anyway. But uh, they did bring this guy in. I think it might. I think I read something in the oral history too. This was like his first acting gig. Mm. He was a friend of the family. Oh, gotcha. and they brought him in, and yeah, he has gone on to be an actor. But like it, you know, they just put him in an unenviable role. And yeah. in the oral history, they talk about this a lot. Larson used the show just to pay back favors. There's there's a ton of producers on it and they're not actually involved. He just like he's like, I owe you something. You're a producer now. You're gonna get a paycheck. I owe you something. Your kid's going on the show. <laughs> he, he, I mean, for all his writing on the show and some apparent care for it because he wrote all the episodes, he also didn't set himself up in great shape. He, you know, his own kids are the Super Scouts. I noticed that when the end credits come, three Larsons amongst the Super Scouts. Yeah, Good Lord. He didn't set himself up for success on the show. That's for sure. I mean, he didn't get a lot to work with, but he didn't help himself any other. Was Wolfman Jack his idea, do you think? When that credit came on, you know, guest starring Wolfman well, Jack. Let me ask you, Luke, I know we'll get back to the episode, <laughs> but having not been alive when this show aired, was Wolfman Jack, was his uh, his stock still real high at this no. point? No, I mean, he was still, uh, I mean, I, I don't know the history of Wolfman Jack, but I do know his, the moment that he became a pop culture thing was American Graffiti, right? He had been a real DJ before Which that. Which was what, 73? Yeah, and in the, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there's this whole quest to find him. So he that made him a thing for sure. And you definitely saw him popping up in TV shows and commercials and he still had his radio show. But the idea of having him as a guest star in a way that would bring eyeballs to your show, like special guest appearance by Wolf Ben Jack. It's just a ludicrous concept. <laughs> right. I was also intrigued that William Daniels was going to be in the show, uh, you know, voice of Knight Rider and uh, or voice of Kit. I heard I heard his voice right away. I was, I, I was like, I know that voice, know that voice. And then I looked, I'm like, oh, right. Uh, but just and I just saw The Graduate last night. He's uh, Benjamin's dad. In the That's Graduate right. Show. Yeah. But waiting for him and waiting for him. And then when he finally appears, we'll talk about that. Oh, we get to it's like, oh, my God, what did Glenn Larson have against him? That <laughs> this is what he wrote for him to do <laughs> in the show. But anyway, back to the show. Back back to the show. Um where we were is uh, Troy and Dylan are now having to go deal with the idea of this crashing ship. Before they go there, though, they need to do something about the Super Scouts. So they seem to get together with Jamie at an observatory. I couldn't quite follow the logic of them going there. And it's true. They immediately, as soon as they see Jamie at the observatory, they like pawn the kids off on a tour guide. They're like, hey, just go with that tour guide. And we get the same gag they like to do all the time is the tour guides telling them about space, but the kids know more than the tour guide. Yeah, they've gone to that a couple times. It's, it's their favorite thing. And the the way they did it, though, made me laugh because the tour guide says, like, there are approximately 110 billion stars in the universe. And then one of the kids, like, 114 billion stars. <laughs> I was just like, you wouldn't know how many stars there are. It's impossible. <laughs> also, if you said it's roughly 110 and someone said it's more like 114, I'm like, that's roughly 110, <laughs> you little brat. Also, let me ask you, I, I'm not an astronomer, so don't be fooled. But uh, they mentioned at one point, they go, oh, that's the Big Dipper. But we've like they saw it backwards. Is that how that works? They were so far off in space. The stars of the Big Dipper were they were on the other side of them. Is that, is that how? Is oh, that how? Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah, I is, get that it. was okay. like. It's like, is that how things work? Can you get so far? That that if, was the if idea. If you were on the so, other side of it, yeah, theoretically, like I guess they're imagining Caprica existed so far away from Earth. All the stars in the Big Dipper were still in approximately the same space, but like just mirrored around the other side. Yeah, right. So it was a, like a left-handed dipper over there. <laughs> I don't know that, that the science makes any sense, right. but I think that's the gag they're going for. Oh, boy. Yeah, they, I mean, that's the level of gags on this show. <laughs> Jamie kind of warns them that Colonel Bridges is like looking for them. And so if they're going to go to New York where this Cylon ship's predicted to crash, they can't fly their, their Tron motorcycles over there. <laughs> right. I love that 
Jamie has to do everything for them because they're basically right. I don't know what the word is that I can't offend someone, but <laughs> not not smart gentlemen. Well, I mean, not to tip your hand as, as to your life, Jordan, but I do like she was like, I guess I'll book a flight for you and get you out there. And I was just like, this is just Jordan's life. Just yeah. booking flights for idiots. <laughs> and that's why I liked it. I was just like, oh, these guys don't know how to book flights. huh? Uh, real hard. <laughs> um, but what's interesting here is Jamie talks about or Jamie and Troy talk about, hey, can you call Dr. Mortensen up? the guy from the first episode we've never seen again I know. and have him monitor some signals for us. And I'm just like, is he going to come back? And he, he doesn't come back in these episodes, but they are acknowledging that this character they've never gone back to still exists in this universe and is still involved in their like daily lives. Yeah. It's like they're talking about more interesting episodes that you're not getting to see. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, yeah, there's interesting stuff happening. Not what you're seeing. You're seeing the kids at the movies, but don't worry. There's stuff happening behind the scenes. You're seeing a long airplane. Ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of the kids... We obviously need to now remove them from the plot because it's not useful to bring the super scouts right. to New York. They go back and Jamie's just like, well, let's just leave the kids at Billy Air's baseball camp for the episode. Is that what they said? I missed that. Yeah, that's their plans. They're like, we'll drop the kids off at the baseball camp they were in the last episode. And I'm like, oh. why are you doing so much continuity in this show? I well, didn't like, understand that line. Yeah. So that's a place they've been before. You'd like that one, Kevin. Time. They have a character who is, uh, They it's real quick. They'll just go. <laughs> He's a base. He was supposed to be a great baseball player. They go, but something happened to him. And then when you see him, he's just missing an arm. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I wonder what happened to his him. arm fell but, off. But he's got his arm clearly just in his shirt. And that's right, like right. they couldn't have had anything subtle. It's just like, well, yeah, he clearly can't play baseball. He's missing an arm. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, they do a lot of backflips through old plot lines just to kind of get rid of all the baggage they have in the show. Like Jamie right. doesn't come along. They're just like right. dropping baggage off of the show in order to get it rolling. And then we jump to them going to an airport, learning about airplanes, learning about airport security, learning about checking in. Learning and about hijacks. I get, and I know there's a purpose to this, but the lameness of them understanding most English words, but occasionally getting stuck on something where they go, hijack, what is a hijack? And then they have to talk into their... Stupid yeah. wrist computer. Well, this is the scene where, you know, they're going through security and blah, blah, blah. And they do mention one thing. They're worried about getting their lasers on. And they, you know, they knew the fans were going to mention how you can have your lasers on. But they went, don't worry, they're carbon synthetic. That was the line. I was like, oh, yeah, they'll be fine then. The metal detectors won't go off. They won't worry. go on. But they had that weird line at the end of the scene where, you know, they're trying to check in and the guy's like, oh, sorry, there's a problem. He's like, it's a baby. That's the problem of having a baby. And I was like, what a weird line. And I was like, of course, it's going to use it later. But at the moment, I was like, is this just the dumbest dialogue i've ever seen yeah they bump into a couple who are going through security as well and they sort of jostle for position and this couple just apropos of nothing says babies am i right it, there's some weird things it, that's a setup for later but it's it's very strange like i love when they're looking up hijacking they're like <laughs> oh it's to take something a plane over to go do something with it uh, the line he says exactly is like i wonder what someone would do with an aircraft once they seized it i'm just like <laughs> use your i mean wasn't your whole planet attacked in a terrorist attack like you know what they would do yeah they, they like to play on the i've said it a million times but there's a fish out of water sort of thing yeah. and they're sort of not that they're dumb but they're they're in situations they're not familiar with but they just come off as dumb all yeah. the time well because they just they get by doing other normal things all the time they go to a movie theater they pay for tickets they buy popcorn they, they picked a movie like how did they get through any of that if they go hmm, hijack Computer, explain hijack. It, I'm actually surprised they didn't do a scene where they were confused. About pop, the popcorn? Pop, popcorn? <laughs> it is popped? It's like, oh. I just not enough time in the episode, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, this puts us onto the plane, and it's great because uh, in previous episode we've we've seen one of the key traits for Troy and Dylan is they love to have a nap, and we just, <laughs> and we just see Troy just sleeping away on the plane. But this couple comes back who seemed like a throwaway, but it turns out this it's a very suspicious couple. Uh, one of them is a man in drag, clearly, clearly in drag with a fake baby, and. Uh, they're hijackers. That also got through security. Some of yeah. they're like holding a fake. They're like, oh no, that that passes the chest. <laughs> but it's it's such a strange scene because we kind of see them. We're like, oh okay, obviously these are going to be some sort of hijackers. The man in drag gets up, walks to the back of the airplane, and gets the airplane's gurney. Is that something that's on an airplane? No, normally? I thought it was. What I thought it was was um, part of the um, the stroller. No, no, it's a it's a full gurney. They Is take it? Out. Yeah, it's because she walks it down the entire length. Of the it's so weird, like so suspicious. And then they take a pipe off of the gurney, right? And they turn it like they tie some stuff into it. And now it's a gun. I was very confused as to what was happening, but all this is means nothing. They like stand up. We're going to Cuba. Troy and Dylan are like, mm, we can't go to Cuba. We got to get to New York. No, first they say, what is Cuba? Wrist? What is? Oh, Cuba? that's yeah. true. They do and ask. then the, and the wrist tells them uh, it's near Florida in the West Indies. So they know what Florida and the West Indies are. But yeah, it's Cuba. What is Cuba? They're like, that's too far out of the way. We can't go there. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, asking what, what a country is like and how it describes it? It's near somewhere else. Like, there's something else it could have possibly told them. Because <laughs> they know that a, the Cylon or whatever is going to crash in New York sometime in the next yeah. day. So they so they know this hijacking away. is... I mean, imagine if it was just like, oh, uh, flies to New York. They're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. These hijackers are going to where we're going, so let's <laughs> right. continue to allow them. Also, these scenes don't matter at all. This reminded me a lot of... There was a previous episode, Kevin, where Troy and Dylan are in their a fighter plane, whatever they call them, up in space and they're slowly losing oxygen because they've been shot down. But they just keep cutting back to them and what Luke was saying, they just keep taking naps. <laughs> and it's like, but they just keep cutting back to them over and over. And I'm like, who cares? And this is in a somewhat similar way. It's just a small little plot line, but I'm like, who cares about any of this? It's like just watching them on their plane ride, just get them on the plane and get them off. Well, like, I, think, mm. I think it's just like, He's like, I need an obstacle at this moment. So yeah. here's hijackers. And yeah, the solution to it is very simple. They use their computers to like drop all the airbags, their little wrist computers to distract them. And then they just both laser the guys. I guess the idea is like, we don't want anyone to notice we're lasering them. So if we cause a distraction, we'll be able to just like stun these two guys and be fine. And it's great because as soon as they stun them, they're like, we did it. We got away with it. And some kid jumps out of their seat and like rats them out. The kid's right. like, these guys, right. these two guys lasered those two guys. <laughs> And then the pilot comes out, and uh, I think Troy's just like, he's a kid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's yeah. just a dumb, stupid they see, kid. They see lasers all the time in their imaginations. And also, I, I kept wondering, I guess it could just be for the fun of it, but why is the hijacker in drag? Like, could there not be a lady hijacker? Like, No, I, th I think the point was you couldn't possibly have two men with a baby. Of course. He never could find a, a female terrorist. Right. So just put a little, uh, make him look like a babushka sort of thing with a little... Right handkerchief over his head it's a very strange scene and couldn't possibly take up more than five minutes of the episode but like so much weird stuff happens and even at the end of it the stewardess is like we need you to wait and talk to the fbi when we land which is just another obstacle to put up for them that right. doesn't go anywhere because they just go to the bathroom cloak themselves and then walk off the plane and your favorite it has your favorite visible acting luke yeah i mean this show is famous for its invisible acting now and in this case a cop gets pushed over onto a stewardess and the stewardess right. like accuses him of copying a feel i'm like right. what is happening We've all used that move, though. An <laughs> invisible guy pushed me. <laughs> the, also, the fact that, did you notice that they, uh, maybe this is true in all the episodes, they're very um, 
indiscriminate and when they remember that they can turn invisible. Like there's times when they're on the run from guys. What are we going to do? I don't know. But it's like, well, there's other times where they go, you press the button, turn invisible. Well, it's an, it's an easy, it's an unfortunate, it's too easy an excuse to get yeah. into situations. So they clearly don't want to use it all the time, but they use it quite regularly through the show. And it's like, it has become a thing that's like, you guys should just use it all the time. Yeah. And they threw in a line in the first episode of like, you can only use it so long and then power runs out. Right. But that never seems to be really be an issue. Maybe once it was. But why even do a car chase? Just yeah. disappear. Yeah, just get invisible, man. Just get invisible. You've got that ability. But this sequence basically gets them out of the airport and uh, gets them moving toward the satellite. They jump in a cab and they're going to head off that direction. We pop back up to uh, Galactica for a moment where Adam and Dr. Z have found the damaged Viper and brought the pilots back. And now they realize that, A, there are Cylons crashing. B, Cylons have evolved to look like humans. Uh, as Dr. Z says, they've managed to do this in 30 Earth years. <laughs> it's like, why Earth years? <laughs> Don't you think, isn't it a funny thing? That's an interesting idea. That could have been a whole uh, season-long arc, but they didn't really do anything with it. It's like, that's a big reveal. If you're a villain has now gained the ability to blend in blend in that's a huge thing and they're just like oh that's something all right back to the space kids it's like oh guys like it's like the people working on the show didn't know the interesting things that they had available to them right i mean i only bring up the scene because the thing i like most about it is they now know what's happening adam and dr z have figured it all out they don't ever bother to call down to Drew and Dylan to let them in on it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like they uh, clearly have been able to call them in a movie theater, but they now know this information. Troy and Dylan are still on their way to what they think is a Viper. They now have all the information they need to pass down and they just never think to call in and just let them know. <laughs> I like the fact that the guy that they're talking to, the Viper pilot or whatever, looks like he's getting a proctological exam. <laughs> like the, the blocking of that, he's on his side facing them, but there's somebody doing work behind him in the middle of his back, like some sort of surgical work. It just seemed like a very odd, of all the ways you could position that guy as he's being, you know, beamed, uh, his, his visuals are being beamed to them. When that Viper rammed that silent ship, something came loose and <laughs> just like shot up. It was really, this is top bad news. We finally now get a shot inside the silent ship, which I wasn't expecting. I didn't think we'd actually see much from the silence perspective, mm. but we actually get a whole scene where we see these you new know, humanoid silence. We see the centurions. They're having a conversation about crashing on this planet and they're pulling up their computer screen. And it's just like, we have a 3% chance of like the ship surviving the crash and only a 1% chance of any of us living. I like that the uh, centurions are constantly have these blue light shot on them. They're like painfully shiny. Right. That and also you're just like, I can't even look with this guy working. But now again, I'm not that familiar with the original show, but they're just robots, right? I think so. I think there might have been some mystery as to whether or not there was anything. Great robot voices. They have great robot voices. Absolutely. Affirmative. It's like your classic robot voice. There was something very funny about those shots inside that silent ship because it's like four people. There's like a front seat and a back seat. It felt like a family trip. You know, right, right. <laughs> it's mom and dad Cylons in the front seat and the kid humanoid Cylons in the back seat. But also, I was confused because uh, this goes back to the premise of the show. But so the Cylons are looking for Earth or they're looking for Galactica, not knowing that Galactica is somewhere in proximity to Earth. This has been ill-defined. The What they've sort of said and set up is they haven't seen the Cylons in 30 years, right. but they believe the Cylons have just been tracking them quietly for a while. And now there's has been in this finally after 30 years, the Cylons have started to like do a brief hit and run attack. And Dr. Z has posited in those 30 years, they have developed new technology and now they're just, they're toying with them. They're testing out to see how good their new technology is so that they'll send a, a new fighter out to shoot down a ship just to see how it'll work. And in this case, like, I think he's theorizing 
oh, they've got human Cylons now. Let's send them off to run a mission and just see how they work and like just to sort of like terrorize Galactica. But they don't seem to know that they found Earth. Like Galactica has managed to disguise the fact they've found Earth. Right. But Galactica is parked somewhere in the solar system. Well, that's the thing. They've like what they had mentioned at one point is Galactica dropped them off and just kept going because they right. didn't want them to see that that was Earth. But it it seems like they're just kind of going in circles in a little bit. Right? They're in the neighborhood, yeah. They can phone them. They can. And you would back. think that the Cylons would look around and go, oh, well, there's a carbon-based planet that right. they can clearly live on. There's only one in the galaxy. Right. But yeah, they're feasibly just spinning around a little bit out that, there. Yeah, certainly that part is not is very ill-defined as to why and what right. is happening with the Cylons and Galactica itself. Wow. Because our adventures are confined to Earth with these awesome super scouts. Right, exactly. Because that's what the show's really about. That's what people campers. were craving. <laughs> um, but yeah, the silent ship finally crashes into Earth. And it was happening so slowly, I was surprised to see what a disaster it was. But really... Of all the Cylons on there, to survive. Andromedus, one of the human-looking Cylons, and then just one of the Centurions with their awesome, like, shifty, like, laser eyes. It's so good. I I, I really like these aliens. Mm, They're very fun to look at. Although although he looked a little like he put on some weight. Did you notice that? that He looked a little little torso heavy. I mean, they haven't had to do anything in 30 years. They've kind of been a little lazy. They put a little extra weight. (laughs) These robots. So they set the basically the damage ship to self-destruct, grab the distress beacon off because they're going to uh, they've picked up transmissions coming from close by in New York. And they're going to like boot it to New York, try to find some sort of, uh, you know, something that's going to do a transmission tower and shoot a distress signal into the space so that the silence will now know, hey, we found the final human colony. We found Earth, the thing that the Galactic has been looking for. We can destroy it before they get here. Troy and Dylan managed to get to the crash site like seconds after that though like the silence have just walked off basically through the woods and troy and dylan like run up and kind of are shocked to find a cylon ship they kind of get to have a look around it before there's a great explosion the whole thing like bursts into flames and yeah. they have to like dive out of the yeah, way great stuntman trampoline jump like wow <laughs> yeah from the explosion it's pretty it's, good it's very the stunts on this are like very retro but like the fun kind of retro right, i think right and then they just stand there they hear sirens coming because the police are coming to this crash they saw And our two heroes just kind of stand in the wreckage waiting for the police to arrive. And their history with the police in the show has been not great. (laughs) They've had a lot of encounters that haven't gone well for them. But they don't seem to have any, like, impulse to leave. They continue to stand there as the police arrive. Or turn invisible. Or turn invisible. (laughs) So many options they have. They wait for the police to arrive. And the cops who get there are like, immediately assume they're drug runners who have crashed their plane. They're a little confused as to how they survived the crash, but they're like, you guys are clearly up to no good. So they pull them to a cop car, take away their laser guns, and like one of the cops fires one of the guns just to see what it is. Weren't, like, you, weren't you hoping he'd accidentally shoot himself in the face and <laughs> just vaporize his head? Like, this is a cool camera? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he, he vaporizes a nearby tree, and Troy and Dylan, who have just passively gone along with this up to this point, are like, I guess we should leave. So they like somehow punch the cops and like take their lasers back and like shoot the cops. And for, I think this has to be the third or fourth time in the show, they steal cop cars. It's the third time. Third time they've stolen a cop car. Anytime they run into the police, their initial reaction is to either cloak and run away or stun the police and always steal their cop cars. In the park where they have their ship parked, there's a lot of parked police cars there as well. (laughs) It's uh, it's very funny. I'm like, almost every episode, they're stealing a cop car. Like, these guys are America's Most Wanted now. <laughs> uh, regardless of what they've done anything wrong, they keep stealing cop cars. Right. That alone. Andromedus and the Silent, meanwhile, are hitchhiking on the side of the highway. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't think that Centurion's going to win any foot races, huh? Yeah. You see how, how difficult for him to walk? I was yeah. like, oh man, he's not an effective warrior at all. <laughs> it's a very slow moving thing. But uh, thankfully for them, which we haven't mentioned so far, it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. So everyone just thinks they're in cool costumes. Everyone thinks they're in cool costumes, but they're also like to get around that they are weird and awkward. They're like, they're also talking in character of these characters we don't know who they are. Right. <laughs> but a car pulls up beside them because this husband and wife team, uh, he's a clown, she's a vampire, and uh, they're off to a party at a radio station because he's the director of uh, Wolfman Jack's radio station. That woman really, really wanted the party, huh? Like, she pushed really hard. Yeah. Oh, boy, she is like a gibbering idiot. Like, she's really a frustrated character. Like... William Daniels, the voice mm-hmm. of Kit, is the clown, right? And he's wearing this outrageous makeup and and just looks like a goofball. He was clearly game to go along with yeah. whatever Glenn had written. but And so, you know, great. There's a certain amount of fun with him complaining about the meatballs. Did, did you notice the meatball references? The oh, my gosh. They I, constantly talked about meatballs. I, I looked it up, and I guess it's, a, it's Glenn Larson taunting the censors because they had asked him to remove some lines that were innocuous that they thought were double entendres. So he doubled down on the meatball playing as if it's a double entendre, although it's not. I just couldn't get it because across the two episodes, they make like eight meatball jokes. That was a thing. It was like, it seemed like something that was supposed to be funny, but that no one thinks is funny. And they just kept going back like, oh, you know, his meatballs are terrible. I'm like, okay, I get it. And it's not like it's a situation any of us have ever lived through. No one's ever had a friend who keeps bugging you to eat their meatballs, right? Like that's my my special homemade meatballs. But anyway, back to the car, just the fact that you can give William Daniels a pass, but that actress playing the wife, oh my God, she just giggles and screams and shouts about the party and i was hoping that elvira would play that part yeah totally that would have been perfect that is a cameo actually elvira isn't it no no the woman who's the vampire is from dark shadows oh no kidding so it was written as a cameo for her and you're right the relation it's written as like some sort of weird cliched non-real married couple like yeah she's uh, she just wants people to come to the party and yeah he he's just like oh no my wife is inviting strangers to a party like the, and that's the whole the relationship. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a it was a complete trope. It was just written so extreme in her case that it was just a oh, it's, to it's watch. absurd to watch. And you know how convenient he's the general manager of a radio station where their party they're going to go to, and they're just like, you've got to come, Arnie and Mildred are going <laughs> to love your costume. <laughs> the, the line she said was. Anybody who would go to that kind of trouble to make a costume has to be a good guy. And I thought, this woman has some real bad relationships in the future. <laughs> you know, if that's what if that's what you're ranking people on. Right. I just thought this was like a simpler time before we knew uh, what nerds were like who dressed up in like very fancy silent costumes. Like I'm just like, if you went to a Comic-Con and were like, everyone here is a good person, you would be sadly mistaken. Right, right. Luke, sh- shut up. Those are our fans. <laughs> well, also, I, when I heard that line, I thought, wasn't there a famous serial killer who dressed as a clown? Like, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a thing, right? Yeah. Well, I guess she's married Casey. to him. So. That's true. That's right. John Wayne Casey. And also, you can tell at this point, this is where Glenn thought it was hilarious. Like, this is where Glenn was going, okay, now it turns into a straight-up comedy. Like, he loves the joke of a Cylon in a car. It's very funny, too. He's like, he's so big, he has to sit in the backseat by himself, and all three other characters are in the front seat. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, though, they mention several times, like, he's got to be at least seven feet tall. He's eight feet tall. I'm like, no, he's not. Yeah, yeah. He's like 5'8". <laughs> yeah, he's got lifts. That's yeah. it. But yeah, so now they're off to New York. Troy and Dylan are in their cop car following the very weak silent distress signal and they're like we need to figure out where they are before they get to a because they kind of piece together their plan themselves but as they're doing that an apb comes with the radio that two guys have stolen a cop car so we now know oh man there's gonna be so much trouble for troy and dylan finding these cylons and 
it's at this exact moment the entire episode just grinds to a halt with a yeah. to be continued <laughs> yeah, isn't it and, crazy it really felt like you don't you have some obligation as a writer if you're going to do a two-parter you have to end on a cliffhanger or some moment of excitement it seemed so random just something like and see you next sunday yeah it ends at the moment where you're like okay i guess we're going to see them go to a party now like wh- when are we going to get to the moment where i'm like i can't wait to see what happens right. next i guess it's the meatballs right you've been teased about yeah, the meatballs yeah, already. yeah what are these yeah. going to be like are they beef are they turkey <laughs> are they spicy are we gonna <laughs> are we finally gonna see arnie's meatballs and what's wrong with them <laughs> all, all, all the way also with the meatballs meatballs didn't they really miss a turn by not having the uh, centurion have a meatball <laughs> like that that's what i was hoping for like he's trying to get it in i cannot eat it you know i mean you're right i guess that is the most exciting part is like they tease so much about this party is going to have these bad meatballs like right. that's the biggest cliffhanger of the show like, are we going <laughs> to learn more about because they won't stop talking about these meatballs <laughs> all right let's let's get right into it since it's part two i'll get into the summary here for the uh, the night the silence landed part two ah uh, yes radio Radio is the real music of the spheres. Each and every star and planet out there are sending out their own signals, just like the old Wolfman, who is a heavenly body in his own right. <laughs> the only thing can stop Wolfman Jack is a big old solar wave. Solar wave? Yeah, you see, every now and then, the sun gives off with an attack. It's like eating spicy food and sends out waves and waves of gases for millions and millions of miles. (laughs) And I tell you, it stops radio plane dead. This would stop your transmission. Yeah. Can you dig it? Oh, quite possibly. (laughs) The Earth's future hangs in the balance when Troy and Dylan alert to Galactica that they are pursuing two enemy Cylons bent on commandeering a powerful New York City broadcasting facility to transmit Earth's location to their hostile forces in space, which could lead to the destruction of Earth on Galactica 1980. On Galactica 1980. I mean, these summaries make these shows sound so much better. So much more exciting, so much faster paced than they are. But I'll say this, though. At least this episode starts with... A car chase. A car chase, and and now there's stakes, right? Now you understand as ludicrous it is that it's a Halloween party and the, the pseudo Elvira and the voice of Kit and meatballs. At least you know if the Cylons get to the radio station and transmit their signal, the Galactica something's going to Earth is screwed and Galactica is screwed. This episode isn't waiting for Troy and Dylan to slowly make their way across the country to <laughs> yes. discover that it's not a Viper, but something they should have rushed to get to. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a little more energy and momentum in this episode, thank God. Yeah, there's a there's a great car chase in New York with a not great maybe, but a car chase with the cops yeah. chasing them. Sadly, and you won't know this, Kevin, but this is our second car chase in the show, mm-hmm. and this one stays on four wheels. Yeah, I was really hoping in the first episode they do a car chase almost entirely with a car on two wheels the entire nice. time. Like Diamonds are forever style. Yeah, yeah, okay. But not this time. They just managed to drive a cop car into the Hudson River. Right, <laughs> and that sort of. They don't lose the cops, but it kind of buys them a little more time. It's really weird because you, you now see them wandering around New York and they keep talking about how wet they are, how they're soaked yes. in the river. I mean, it looks like someone like sprayed a little liquid into their <laughs> hair, but otherwise they look perfectly dry. Yeah, I was hoping they wrecked those jackets, but yeah. they didn't. Nope, nope. They just got them wet. And they're like, all right, what if we go into this random building, which happens to be the Broadway show for all of the Hanna-Barbera characters? Okay, I was doing fine with the episode at this point. Like I said, I felt like an improvement over the first episode. When this scene happened, I, my brain just started to consume itself, just shrink in my skull. Like, it what was do you even so call- bizarre. What it's do you like- even call this kind of comedy? Like, it's broad, but it's like... 
oh, they take on costumes and they accidentally get stuck in the uh, show. Like, I, I know, I'm uh, sure there's a name for it, but it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Uh, and just the idea that that's a show, it's like the Hong Kong Fooey Scooby-Doo <laughs> off-Broadway musical review, and all they're doing is singing Zippity-Doo-Dah and then doing this, like, soft shoe shuffle across the stage. Kevin, the audience loved it. Well, they did keep cutting to that older couple and the little kid who were just having, we a, were great having a great time. time. There was, uh, yeah, it's just like a wide shot of people essentially in costumes from like Times Square yeah. just dancing around randomly. <laughs> Did you know the other Hanna-Barbera characters? I had no, to look them up. Like no There was Hong Kong Fooey, mm-hmm. uh, Scooby-Doo. Two of them were from a show called The Hillbilly Bears. Oh, okay, that makes sense. For, they, I thought they looked like uh, some sort of backwards. From Hanna-Barbera. And I'm going to not remember the name of the other show, but the other one was called was the Hair Bear from Oh No, Here Comes the Hair Bear? <laughs> oh, I don't know that. Not familiar with that one. These were like deep, deep <laughs> Hanna-Barbera cuts. <laughs> It was for the real fans. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, they were so, going to get Huckleberry Hound, and there was like two obvious, two, two on the yeah, nose. People will know it. In, this, in the world of this Broadway show, he comes <laughs> along later. Also, backstage security at this show, very lax. Yeah, very lax. They, they just get in there, no problem. And what they see is a rack of white tuxedos, which are like, we'll just change into those to be, to, that'll get us better what clothes, which I loved because they are in white tuxedos the rest of the show, yes. which I was just like, I love these white yeah. tuxedos. There. I'm hoping the next episode they're still wearing white tuxedos. <laughs> And because they put on white tuxedos, they're mistaken for dancers in the show. Of course they are. And they're sort of forced to have it on stage Ugh, for this. Just the worst. Good ship lollipop song. There's Ugh. a kind of a woman singing good lollipop. And they, you know, they don't know their choreography. So they're like dancing around with these people. And all the other dancers who should notice that, hey, where's Phil and John? Like the regular guys who are supposed to be in these suits. Uh, they, they just play along. And uh, This, this and is the stuff that I hate about the show is they are obsessed with taking time out of the plot to give you these scenes that don't matter and have no consequence whatsoever right. it's not even that they're funny it's just you're just wasting time it's like but you could have taken all this out and just made this into one episode instead of a two-parter take out all the flying scenes take out the hijack take yeah. out the dancing bears and you got an episode of tv you, yeah. you didn't love the gag where uh for some reason the dancers forced troy and dylan to pick up the singer and like carry her, her around pick her up they're saying and they like walk behind the ship set and as they kind of disappear from sight they're like in voiceover, we better cloak. And yeah. they cloak and come back on the other side. So you just got the dancer floating, like free floating in the air with no one holding her. And she's doing a what? Yeah. Kind of a th- uh, I was just like, it's so funny. They use the cloaks at such random. I was like, let's cloak. Well, we're not seen for two seconds. And then like look like ghosts when we yeah. go on the other side. But essentially, now that they're cloaked, they run out of the theater, scoot past, push past another cop who's watching from on the wings. Like they give him a shove. Right. Or invisibly, they give him a shove. Invisible acting. And they're, they're back out on the streets and they head through Central Park to track down this distress signal uh, where they bump into some very weird muggers. Oh, boy. That that lead mugger guy, I, I admired his commitment to the role. Like he was really. He was really trying to do something. And I, he felt somewhere between like a 50s greaser and <laughs> like an 80s punk or something. Yeah, yeah, completely. But they're like demanding they hand over money. And Dylan just, or yeah, Dylan's just like, sure, you can have her money, but I, we should warn you. It's stolen money. And I was just like, this is a callback to like five episodes ago where they robbed a bank. Okay, great. Because I could not figure it out. I thought they meant maybe there was money in the pants of the suits that they put on. No, this is a callback to continuity from an episode so long ago where they stole, where they robbed a bank. And this is the money they've been using since then. And like, he's obsessed with like keeping true to these ideas he put in episodes ago, even though the rest of the show doesn't click together at all. He's just like, I got to remember it. That that money they got, it's stolen money, and they're very worried about it still. Right, right. But they have this weird conversation about the stolen money, and the mugger's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just give me the money. And they're like, well, let's get out of here. 
and they just leap into the trees. Yeah, they six million dollar man out, and before this, have never done that before. Right. They've I mean, shown nothing like this. I just immediately started to rewind both episodes in my head and think, well, what other circumstances have they been in when having superpowers would have been a handy thing to reveal? Like, it just seems insane that this is the first time they went, oh, we can jump seventy feet. Also, in the air. let's use that. Also, when they beat up those construction guys. They just like easily like there was like six guys. They just like threw one aside. I'm like they could have just grabbed those guys. They're they're supermen. Why even run away? Because they wanted to show the stupid backwards jumping thing, which yeah. they use constantly in this episode. I loved when they jumped away and then you cut back to the mugger and he's like rubbing his eyes. And yeah. his line is, "Huh, must be all that junk food I'm eating." Yeah, because yeah. no one believes what they're seeing in the show. They always come up with some weird excuse for like why that what they just saw didn't actually happen. But this brings us into this radio station party, and everyone is loving the centurion who's shown up. They think his costume's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, they're the hits of the party. Wolfman Jack arrives finally. We finally get Wolfman Jack in the episode in a King Henry VIII costume yeah, what or is, something. Well, it has one of my favorite things in TV, and I and it's still true to this day. I love Halloween parties in TVs and movies because they clearly can't get the rights to other characters. Like you would see, right. you know, if you went to a party right now, someone's yeah. Captain America, somebody's someone Batman, is, yeah. But Harry in these Potter. movies, you can't. So, what are you? I'm a knight. What are you? I'm a, a slave or whatever it might be. Yeah. I, you know, and I love because you see these parties and it's just how many generic costumes can we throw in? Right. And so, and I always just am tickled when I see that. Yeah. That, that King Henry V or whatever he yeah. was, is it's quite something. It's not a flattering costume. No, no. Cause he's kind of a big guy. Yeah, it makes it, him look way bigger. It makes him look much bigger, but I, he's, you know what? He's really good in the episode. Yeah, he totally, I, he, you know, as soon as he shows up, it does liven things up. A he's bit. having a great time. The Centurion and uh, Andromedus, the two silents, take him out onto the balcony and kind of have a conversation about how his radio station works. They're trying to get more information about it. He doesn't feel weird about that at all. Like, <laughs> they're, very, they're very pointed, odd questions. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk, tell you about stuff. People ask him about the radio all the time. But he And he gets a monologue here where he sort of talks about how radio is the sound of the galaxy and only a, a solar flare can silence it. And at the end of this monologue, he turns around and he's like, can you dig it? <laughs> like, it, he is... The only one having a great time in this show. Yeah, like he seems totally. to be like, great, I'm glad to be here. This is a lot of fun. Look at this guy in this suit. I am so happy. Yep, totally. And didn't you think the solar flare stuff was going to be... Come up, be important useful? In I some was way? sure. I was sure that's what I was like. Oh, guys, two on the nose. It's like, no, no, no we're never going to use that. <laughs> no, it, it is like they like... I like a monologue where it seems like I know a lot about space and I like I have a right. lot of grand ideas about it. So they wrote this thing about radio in space <laughs> for him to monologue about for literally no reason. <laughs> Killing time. Uh, we cut back into the kitchen where the station manager clown, Norman, who was in the car before, he's he's pretty worried about these silence. Like, he's the only one who's just like, this, people are suspicious. And he's noticed them walking around the party, asking right. about the radio station. And he confronts our host, uh, Arnie, who's making these terrible meatballs. And he's kind of like, Arnie, why did you explain the entire security system of the radio station to them? And he's just like, I don't know. They, they asked. And I thought it was a good, a good piece of conversation. <laughs> He's like, anyway, you got to eat my meatballs. It's He just keeps going back to these meatballs. And as they're kind of having this conversation where he's like, "These, I'm, I don't trust these guys. I don't trust what's going on. They both turn around and the centurion is just standing behind them. Like he's been listening the whole time. It's this very sitcom moment of like, the boss is in the room with us. <laughs> but the centurion doesn't appear to understand anything they've said. Uh, and Arnie puts his meatballs into the microwave, which I guess is the final step of making these meatballs. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. Well, if you know anything about making good meatballs, <laughs> you need that final little uh, microwave at the end. It's probably why they're so bad. Yeah. Yeah, right. He flips on the microwave and the Cylon has a seizure. The Centurion, yeah, right. the giant robot, sort of like seizures and falls on the ground. Now, I'm assuming this hasn't been established before no. that microwave ovens give Cylons Well, seizures. we haven't even seen any Cylons up to this point. Okay. I have kids at baseball games and stuff. <laughs> And everyone rushes into the kitchen because they're really worried. They're like, this man has had a, a terrible attack. This man in his costume is like, how do we get his head off? We got to get him some air. And Andromeda like runs in to sort of save his uh, centurion friend by taking out his laser gun and in front of everyone blowing up the microwave. Hold on. I have a question. Didn't he shoot out of his fingers? I don't know. It looked like he was holding like a wand. I did not notice. Okay, I'll have to go back and watch. The partygoers were later described as the police as he shot flames out of his finger. Right. Right. Maybe that's what I... I could up. be wrong. He might have shot... I mean, he's a robot, so mm-hmm. maybe he did have that. In my mind, I thought it was a wand, but he could very well have shot it out of his fingers, just like the partygoers said. But this basically ignites a huge apartment fire in the middle of this party, and everyone starts to flee. The Cylons use this as their moment. They grab... Wolfman Jack and they drag him out the like back kitchen entrance of the apartment. Mm, They're like, we're going to use this guy to get into this thing. And so once again, as everything's falling apart, Troy and Dylan arrive moments too late. Right. And it the heroes of the piece, the heroes of the piece. And there's a really weird scene here. And I think this is something we've seen. And for your information, the listeners at home, who don't remember Jordan read something that because of the time slot was happening in. These shows were sort of technically in a children's time slot. So mm. you needed to have some educational value to this. So I think the scene that follows this when Troy mm-hmm. and Dylan arrive a moment too late is that educational scene. Because like a small child safety. runs back into the fire to get his mm. dog. His parents are at the door and they're like, oh, no, our, our son went back inside. Troy and Dylan arrive for reasons I'll never understand. Troy turns to Dylan and says, uh, why don't you just leave? <laughs> I'll catch up with you later and just, I'm going to go deal with this. Troy opens the door in front of the parents and then slams it back at the parents. It's a weirdly staged scene where he slams the door in front of the parents. He crawls through the fire, gets to the kid, takes a rag and soaks it in punch, mm-hmm. covers the kid's face, and he's just like, smoke rises. If you stay low, you won't breathe in smoke. I'm like, this is clearly the educational yeah, moment of this. Yeah, I, I wrote down the same thing. And then you, you cut back to the outside and the mom's like knocking on the door like hello <laughs> hello my hello? son are you on fire yet and troy like re-arrives with this case like i saved your child and it was like another strange pull out of the actual momentum of the plot to like do something else for two seconds right i'm sure you're right though if there was supposed to be something educational that's it in that episode yeah i mean i think the way he describes fire safety is uh, very much in this idea of like this is important for you kids at home. Right. If you run back to get your dog in the flaming apartment, <laughs> maybe crawl on the floor. And make sure to put punch in your face. Yeah. Get a nice punch rag. It's going to be real good. I, I assume that was a very boozy punch too. Right? Right. It's just like <laughs> inhaling rum. Rum. And it's at this point, uh, the Cylons and Wolfman boot it back through Central Park. We get a, we get to meet the muggers one more time. And they're, right. they're still recovering from what just happened to them. And now they see a Cylon and like they basically lose their minds. They're like, what is going on in this crazy New York City? (laughs) And they hop in a cab and head off to the International Trade Center. Because I guess they can't say World Trade Center, I guess. I guess they can't. But this is also where the the, the Wolfman Jack's radio station is, essentially in the World Trade Center. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) They they arrive at the building just before Troy and Dylan. They both basically are in a race to the top floors. But because the Cylons have the keys and Wolfman Jack, they're able to get past the elevator computer voice. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
I don't think it was, but the elevator has a voice that would be like, you've reached floor 30. You can't go any further without a key. It sounded a lot to me like the Enterprise voice, mm. but I couldn't find a credit for it. I, I'm not sure if it was, mm. but it really had her her tone, and right. I'm not 100% sure. So I'd, like go- see, I'd like to see a duet between that voice and the Cylon. I think they're doing like, <laughs> oh, you know, that would bring fun. me flowers or something. I think that would be <laughs> That would have been actually a great scene if the Cylon attempted to communicate now with this like automated voice. Right. Because the Cylons are all about robots. As we'll see when they get to the radio station, they're talking about automation. They're watching all the automated tapes yeah. and they're like talking about how beautiful this automation is, how much better than humans it is. Right. But they get up there. Troy and Dylan don't have keys to get up. So this is where they, to in order to catch up to them, they have to open up the roof of an elevator. And they're like, let's jump 30 floor. Like they're just... I don't even know. Like they're jumping from scaffolding in an elevator shaft to get. Yeah. Uh, I, it was such a weird. Well, it's a weird, I guess, action scene. They were just like, "Oh, we should just add this in." It's like, but why? Yeah. Why? You guys haven't explained where they're living. We don't need to know how they get to the top. They yeah, take exactly. the stairs. Take the stairs. Exactly. Well, that's it. Why didn't they get up and just take? Like, they are strong. They'll just tear a door off or something. Because it's really undynamic watching them do these slow motion backwards yeah. leaps. Well, someone really liked it though. Someone's <laughs> like, you know what? Let's do it like, I don't know, five, six times. Make sure the audience really gets it. <laughs> Jump slowly up this elevator shaft yeah. after the Cylon. It could have used that uh, uh, $6 million man uh, noise, though. The sound effect? Yeah. yeah. It would have been way better. I have cut this entire thing out. I'm going to put it right here for us. This is what this Colonel Bridges, who we saw in the last episode, who's been trying to track down this crash. He's been up to a lot this episode. We keep cutting back to him. His plot, though, never intersects with the main A plot. I never noticed that. You're right. He never. I'm literally going to go through everything that happens to him right now because that's how little it affects this plot. But Colonel Bridges, who's basically tracking this crash and Troy and Dylan, he arrives at this crash site late. The police identify Troy and Dylan from photos. So he's like, "Okay, we got to go to New York. He stole my cop car. He goes to New York, hooks up with an NYPD police chief who demands to know what's going on. So he just fully goes. He's like, you're not going to believe this. But there are aliens on Earth. And the and the police chief's like, no, I don't believe you. I just, no, you're an idiot. Right. They get a call about a apartment fire. So they go to Bellevue Hospital where all the partygoers are hanging out post-apartment fire. And they start talking about a man with flame shooting at his fingers. And one of them identifies Troy as the guy who ran into the fire and, like, saved the kid. And they finish his interview. And as they're leaving the interview at the same hospital... Two beat cops run in with all the muggers and they're like, we found these muggers outside of Central Park. <laughs> and the muggers are like, we saw a crazy robot man with eyes and I think they're taking over our gang territory or something. <laughs> but all of this, like all this information they're gathering in these cutaway scenes don't help because what we go from this Bellevue hospital, we cut to them driving a car. It's a shot of a car, a cop car driving. There's VO over the scene where the police chief's like, we got a call from someone at the International Trade Center. They said they saw people there. Like none of the events that Colonel Bridges is going through gets him any closer to these characters. Right. Or even is a clear follow through. Like he meets the party goers. They don't know where they were going. He meets the muggers. They also don't know where the silence were going. Right. You need to have another cutaway where just like a voice of like a security guard saw them. A security <laughs> guard that none of us got to see saw them going. So that's why we know where to go. Oh, it's so crazy. It's it, so crazy. And I mean, I would argue... His plotline in this episode takes up at least 10 minutes of the show, but it, I, we could have cut this out right now. Like, it's so such a small part. I mean, unless, and I know that they're not, because there's only a few episodes left, unless they're building to this guy being, you know, the reporter that chases 
David Banner and the Incredible Hulk TV series, like that constant antagonist who gathers more information every episode, but you know it's not going there. Well, they, they've dropped this a few times. Like one, uh, what was the guy uh, who was the... Uh, Colonel Seidel before this. Colonel Seidel. So they already had this same character, but a different mm. person uh, who you thought was going to be that, you know, a Lieutenant Gerard right, kind, sure. of, kind, kind yeah. of character. Um, and then they also had, what's his face, who was set up as the villain... Um, then they replaced him with they, a different actor. They replaced him with a different actor and said, oh yeah, by the way, he knows how to uh, shapeshift now. He's a new actor. <laughs> so they keep like setting up people who you think are going to be sort of a constant, uh, like season long B plot. Right. But they just keep abandoning it. And I think probably because of whatever production values, whatever interference of what the show is supposed to be, it just keeps changing. But there's no way he's going to be a major because he'll just get recast as someone else. They'll be like, right. oh, now it's a, a NASA guy who's chasing them. And it's like, right. OK, yeah. why? But I bet you're right. I'm sure this is directly related to like the Hulk. They're like, we need a military guy who's tracking him down. That's what that's how this show works. Like that's right. how the Hulk works. So I think you're right. They're adding like this is should be here. So let's put it in. But we don't know what to do. with it. Right. Right. Um, we'll go back to the sounds of the radio station now. They've kind of given a speech about how great automation is. And uh, Wolfman Lots Jack. Lots of shots of the giant reels of giant tape. Giant reels of turning, tape yeah. running. And Wolfman Jack kind of says, well, we can't go in the air because it's all automated right now. But there is an emergency broadcasting station you could probably hijack. Right. Like, right. If you're looking to hijack something, I have one more idea. Yeah, they should really hire him. He's very effective at helping. <laughs> Everyone at that party was very much just like, let's give you a lot of information. Even though it's suspicious, we're happy to help. <laughs> no, no, that's not how you make a bomb. Here's how you make a bomb. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. They head up to the rooftop where I guess the emergency broadcast station lives. Yeah. And like the Cylon tears a metal door off just to like wow us with his strength. Right. And uh, basically they're like, all right, great. Hook up our distress signal here. We're going to go up and we're going to readjust the satellite so they point to space. Oh, and um, Cylon or Centurion, please kill Wolfman Jack now. <laughs> and just as Wolfman Jack's about to bite it, Troy and Dylan finally finish jumping up the elevator <laughs> shaft. And we get like a little laser shootout. Pew, pew, pew. And both uh, Andromedus, the human Cylon, and the Centurion get hit. And this is something that's happened throughout the episode is the Centurion has apparently a piece of programming. And his programming is to protect Andromedus. And he, it comes up repeatedly where he's just like, Andromedus like, maybe you should stay behind. You don't look like a human. He's like, my job is to protect you. I must protect you. So he won't leave his side. And now when they've both been shot, Andromedus is like, dying and he's just like please centurion you're you're okay just flip the switch and turn on the distress signal and we'll get this information out to the world and then centurion says like i must protect you i must protect you and he picks up andromedas and walks off the side of the building with him i didn't understand that at all i guess i don't know the idea is his programming so one-sided that he can't only do this one thing but he's not he just picks him up and then walks him to his death i mean i can only assume that he is supposed to have already clocked that there's a dumpster 85 stories down that contains enough soft material for them to jump into it's the only thing that makes sense but it makes no sense well that's that's it i mean what we'll see right at the end episode is a dumpster picks up or a dump truck picks up a dumpster and dumps it in and we get a quick shot of like the silence heads in the dumpster which is hilarious the idea that he fell yeah, 120 stories <laughs> perfectly into a dumpster. Yeah, it's a good shot. You, uh, you really should put a gif on the Instagram of the moment they hit the dumpster. Okay. Because if you look, there's the the, the dummy legs. Oh, like, really? Fly straight. Like, it's really, it's a great unconvincing dummy moment. But essentially now, Troy and Dylan have saved the day, I guess. Because it, it's, it's just, it sort of wraps up them. Wolfman Jack runs down, tells the police what he saw. And like, the police chief's just like... 
you saw aliens. Well, it's Halloween. Trick or treat. Right. Uh, like that wraps up. Troy and Dylan just cloak and wander their way out of the building. So they're fine. And like there's one point where Dylan's just like, no, oh, I'd like to hang out in New York for a little bit longer. It's pretty cool here. And Troy's like, no. We, we got to go back. We're, we're done. This, we're never staying in New York. We back. can't convince him any more streets that might look like New York here. Yeah, right. We're, we've run out of that. And it's just sort of like the end of the episode. It, it just sort of wraps up here. And it's, yeah. it's, it's so strange. There's one thing I kind of skimmed over. It was odd, but they cut back up to Galactica when they're worried the signal's going to go out. And Dr. Z and Adam are like, well, I guess we could just, uh, you know, block the signal when it gets shot up. Like they, they're, like we have a button for that. We they cut away that. to like totally diffuse all tension of this last second. Where they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a jamming signal, but I guess we can just jam it." Right. The show is like so good at diffusing its own tension. I get the idea of trying to show that the Cylon's alive at the end because hey, that's a thread for future episodes. But at the same time, he just has to get to any other radio I know. tower, stick that disc back in. Like, isn't the Earth under constant threat as long as that guy, that robot's around? Yeah, I mean, that's what they they really show it. Like, don't worry. We'll bring this row back back later. Yeah. I'm like, will will you? Or are you just showing this to show, ensure, assure us that he's in the going to a garbage dump? I don't yeah. know. I yeah. think I think it, the the shot to actually to go. Don't worry, kids. He's no one died. Right. You're probably right. You're probably right. It's the old. Uh, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, we, me and my brother would always joke about it. But you'd have characters like you're watching GI Joe or whatever it is, and the characters would get thrown off a building or like they'd land into water, and they'd always have that shot of. Someone like, oh, they're out of the water. And it's like, right. oh, they're okay. No right. one died. No right. one died, kids. Here's my continuity note that I'm amazed that they kept. Was You may have noticed at the end of the episode, as they're getting ready to leave New York, they don't have their ski jackets. They left them behind at the theater. So I watched the beginning of the next episode, and sure enough, they're not in the ski jacket. Oh, wow. I'm glad. No, whether they come back at some point after that. There's not many more episodes, though, right? Two more? Two more, that's Two it. Two more, yeah. Then I don't think you see the ski jackets again. That's very funny. When you, when you see them at the beginning of the next episode, which, you know, has a certain rural uh, theme. I don't want to give anything away for you guys. Um, I got to watch them now. <laughs> they're wearing sort of country clothes. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, no. He's got a leather vest and oh, dungarees. And, yeah. Well, I think the Super Scouts are coming back next episode. Ugh. Ugh. I mean... I, I honestly, I cannot tell you the two moments that just killed me in these episodes were seeing the Super Scouts for the first time and having no context for that. Just saying, what is going on? Like having the guys in the spaceship go, okay, we can solve this problem. Let's call our agents, our sleeper agents down on Earth or there. And they call them in a movie theater where they're surrounded by scouts. You, just, you really should go back and watch those watch scout, episodes, scout episodes. Because it, it just becomes a different show. And it's a show that they don't even feel invested in because it's like, there's kids, but it's almost like, what do we do with these kids? Like, why did we give 12 of them? You know, it's like, there's too many kids. Right. And they have super, like the baseball episode's so bad. And then there's another one where the kids die because they drank water. It's just so bad. Uh, but that and the Hanna-Barbera show were the things that I was just, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite mind blowing to watch you know, what is clearly a first draft to get made. Yeah, clearly a first draft. Well, I read some quote online too that said that, you know, everything with Glenn Larson was a first draft and that when if he got to page 60 and he wasn't done, he would just say to be continued. I mean, that's what I read too. That's been our, that's been a refrain on this show. It's right. just like hit page 60. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, it's what it seems like because as you mentioned, there's no cliffhanger, especially the first three episodes. They're like, one, it didn't need to be three episodes and two, there's no cliffhangers. They're just, it clearly was like, all right, well, we ran out of time. Uh, so we'll see you next week it's yeah. like but why why would i come back for the show where it's mostly being people walking around right but that's that's what it is that's what the right. show is Let, let's let's rate these two episodes I, I know it's gonna be tough to break them into separate episodes but if you can kevin do you think you can rate the first part of this well I'm, let me let me contextualize first by saying i'm gonna rate them on the basis of whether they're 
whether I think that they're well-made television. They certainly are entertaining in their absolute bonkersness, right? But just in the sense of there having been some intent to make something that's good and some sort of follow-through on that, I think the first episode is dire. I think it just wanders around, like like you said, the, all the airplane stuff. I kept thinking, where is this going? And nowhere. It went nowhere. <laughs> it was just time killing. So I think the first episode is at best a two. Ooh. I'm going really low on the first one. I would say the second one. Should I go to my second one now? Sure, we can do that. Yeah. I would say my second one picks up a lot because at least, like I said, we start with stakes. We have the weird Hanna-Barbera episode, but and but the, somewhat off put by the, the white tails because I agree once you get them in those costumes, it's a little, little f- more fish out of water fun. So I'd say it's more like a five, the second episode, but I really thought that first episode was terrible. Jordan? I didn't think it was as bad as uh, Kevin thought, but to be fair... I had to watch all the Super Scout episodes. <laughs> so this was a real pickup after this. This honestly, this did actually feel, and I I can't remember if we said it at the beginning of the show or we were talking about it off the air, but this connects much better to the first few episodes than the last few. Like the first three episodes felt like a show, and this kind of feels like it could be part of that show. That other middle part was just something else entirely. Mm. So on basis of that, uh, I'd give this about what did I write here? A f- uh, four point five for the first one, and the second one I went up a little bit to a five point five. 5.5. I was really excited though when I I actually looked away from the screen because I was writing something down, um, and I when the the centurion exploded and I thought it was because he ate a meatball and I got really excited <laughs> and I rewound it and then I was like oh no it was That's the microwave. The microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I agree that first episode is the setup of a plot but it yeah. took like that's it's that's, the first 10 minutes of an episode yeah, yeah it, it's exactly what it is yeah, yeah. and but it somehow took 45 minutes to do <laughs> i mean that's that's a real two for me uh, i i'll give it, i'll give it a two because the super scouts aren't in it for very long <laughs> they're still in it but not for very long but i'm gonna say of all the episodes of the show we've watched if i were if someone were like should i ever watch this i'd be like no but if you're gonna watch one episode I would definitely watch the second part of really? this one because it's so dumb, but it's at least fun. Like, why do they go to a show full of Hanna-Barbera characters? I don't know, but like your brain's going to be like bully blown when it happens. Wolfman Jack shows up and is just yeah. like wandering around having a great time. I, I'm going to give it a meatballs. six. Meatballs. I'm going to give it a six. I'm really hoping that meatball thread comes back later. You I know? don't know if you did any IMDb on these people, but I know there's a lot of Glenn Larson people. Like the meatball guy is Danny, the bartender from... Quincy he was like he said the I think the I can't remember how it worked but he was like the the bar that Quincy constantly went and had a drink with the cops at was Danny's bar I think I read somewhere too wasn't he he became a regular character on MASH in the later seasons he oh, was okay, like a, he he's certainly a really like a mess hall or something yeah that and, you know what you're right I couldn't remember where I recognized him but it's I think it's MASH and then and, and of course William Daniels voice of Kit that's a mm-hmm. Knight Rider was also a Glenn Larson show I'm sure uh, I, I I think I remember spotting at least one other Oh, the angry cop, the angry New York cop. Is mm. like, I don't believe any of this. He was the the cop boss from Starsky and Hutch. He was mm. also angry at Starsky and Hutch all the time. Not a Glenn Larson. Isn't show. it crazy, though? And this is a little off topic. I know we're rating things. And Luke, we have... Oh, I think you finished your ratings. Yep. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, <laughs> this is not a well-written show. And again, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Galactica was, or maybe he had more... You know, something in a very Roddenberry-esque way of maybe he has some good ideas and mm. he's not the person to execute them. But... There's something to be said about this guy who had like 10 well-known shows. Like he's it's pretty amazing. very prolific and clearly was someone that people liked working with because mm-hmm. they kept giving him shows and kept making hit shows. But on the basis of this, is not a very good writer. No, I'm, this is atrociously written. I guess the thing he, just looking at the list of titles of shows he did, seems like the thing he was best known for was adopting some big hit idea into a weekly TV show 
while not paying the original people. Right. So it's like, you know, all those uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, Hal Needham movies are hits and he does The Fall Guy, which is basically Hooper as as a series, right? And every, although I don't really see it, Star Wars to Battlestar Galactica, but that's what the claim was at the time was that he was ripping off Star Wars, which I don't really see. Like the story is so different, but I guess John Dykstra and the special effects and whatever are right. ported directly over. But, you know, uh, BJ and the Bear was basically the Clint Eastwood and the Orangutan movies uh, turned right. into a series. He definitely had a quality of doing but that. Also, but- can you believe they made two of those movies? <laughs> it was, it was a- Any Which Way But Loose and... And Any Which Way You Can. Ah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. I mean, it's fun to watch this knowing that he had such a prolific career that it's mm. just like... This was a low point for him for sure, but yeah. it didn't hurt him. He went on to make many more things. It, it was him. just it was just a bump in the road. Right. I doubt he noticed it. He was famous for taking credit for a lot of things, including I noticed the theme music. He he gets co-write credit. Oh, on did he really? Yeah. I, I actually I would say that the music on this is one of the better things of the show. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm I kind agree. of involved in this, no, and, totally and again, agree. they show all these cool science fiction things. I'm like, yes, they're going to time travel to all these places and do all these things. No, 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 they're not. They're going to no. go to a movie theater though. <laughs> exactly. like, oh, okay. Oh god. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with this episode. Um, seeing as this is the first day of 2019. I was wondering if we wanted to make any resolutions for the podcast uh, looking forward to this year. I mean, if I was going to make a resolution, I'm definitely not watching anything else with 12 children in it. Uh, (laughs) This has been a real slog for me, these 12 children things. So uh, maybe we'll steer clear of anything that like really relies heavily on child acting. Yeah. I like to see more shows where people like take their face off and I can see like lights and, and cables and stuff in their head. Oh, that's is, is a that good possible? resolution. We should definitely look into more of those. We yeah. really enjoy that. That's awesome. That's my favorite. It's like, oh, and he and takes his face. I'm like, oh, man, look, at there's wires under there. Yeah, totally. John Saxon and the yeah. $6 million man. Awesome. Ooh, awesome. Good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I have a resolution for you as a fan, so it's not, oh, it's great. not, it's not for me to tell you how to do your show, but just get, as someone who enjoys listening to this get show. Get ready to cut this out. <laughs> I would say uh, you're, you're, you've been doing fantastic with these single standalone episodes. I loved your Omen episode, and I loved your Star Warlord episode. Or the Osiris Chronicles. Or AKA the Cyrus Chronicles. <laughs> so I uh, just more of those, more of those. I mean, I love the series stuff too, but pepper more of those standalone weird pilots in there. I, it's it's because I think it's partly because the series are things I know, but those shows are such weird oddities that you know, right, right. Who knew there was an Omen TV series pilot? I had no idea. I think everyone's pretended they forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, no that's kidding. that's a good resolution and one I think yeah. we can keep. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming out today. Oh, total pleasure, guys. It was, it's was it been a lot of fun. Jordan, good as always. And listener, uh, have a happy new year, and uh, we'll talk to you some more this uh, 2019. And scene. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright.